Hi, Davey. Obviously, the news today with, with Juan Soto testing positive for COVID-19, just what an unfortunate situation it is for you and the team, and, and how real does it make what you guys are dealing with this whole season uh, in terms of you know any player at any time could go on the COVID list? When you get that kind of news, obviously your first concern is for Juan, but then do you start worrying about yourself? Do you worry about others? So, Davey, when do you anticipate getting your next round of results? Does this take any of the joy out of opening day? Because obviously this is a very serious situation. It's the coronavirus. We're very happy that Juan is asymptomatic. But this, does it put a damper on this day? Should fans be worried? Should teams be worried that this won't be the last time this amount of players get infected in one team? How confident are you from 1 to 10 that you feel like this Major League Baseball season will complete itself, where you'll have a full season? Has anyone opted out today? on your team. What is your advice to the next manager that has to deal with a star player that tests positive right before you're starting a game? What is the threshold to stop the season now that it's actually started? Like, what is the breaking point for either the commissioner or those involved to decide that the season should be stopped? These are the types of questions Washington Nationals manager Davey Martinez has been fielding from reporters since the Major League Baseball season kicked off a little over a week ago. But on Monday, things really changed. A number of the Miami Marlins tested positive for COVID-19, and Major League Baseball said the team's game against the Baltimore Orioles is off. News broke that the Miami Marlins season had been put on hold as the virus had spread throughout the team, resulting in 18 positive tests. We take you back to Washington. When you see what um, has happened with the Marlins and the domino effect of all that, what does that make you think? Does it leave you concerned about how this stuff can spread and how it, it does take time to find out for sure who else has it and, and, and what kind of effect that can have, not just on one team, but really across the whole league? My level of concern went from about an 8 to a 12. You know, it hits home now that, you know, you, you've seen half a team get infected and, and uh, go from one city to another. So uh, for me, this is, this is my family, you know, and I, I worry about these guys. I worry about everybody around us. Don't want anybody to get sick. This is definitely um, a big concern. Later that afternoon, the Marlins Orioles series was postponed, as was the Yankees Philly series. The Marlins remained in Philadelphia and were tested daily. The following day, Dr. Anthony Fauci commented on the outbreak on ABC's Good Morning America. Well, first of all, I'm concerned. I hope the play is all right. I heard about a dozen of them have gotten infected. Even though they're young, vigorous, and very healthy, I hope they're okay. But you just have to watch this. This could put it in danger. I don't believe they need to stop. But we just need to follow this and see what happens with other teams on a day-by-day basis. And as the positive tests continue to increase, baseball tries to adjust their schedule and protocol. Now ESPN reports that league officials may require a compliance officer to travel with teams to ensure players and staff properly follow the league's protocol. One week into the season, we discuss what is happening in Major League Baseball with epidemiologist Zachary Binney and baseball writer Susan Slusser on the Sports on Pause podcast. Susan Slusser is one of the most accomplished baseball writers in North America. She's been the A's beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle since 1999. She's the former president of the Baseball Writers Association. If you're a hardcore baseball fan, you see her on MLB Network, 
pretty sure she's won like California Sports Writer of the Year awards. And uh, perhaps her most impressive accomplishment is I think she's essentially well liked by everybody in baseball, which is not a very easy thing to be. And Susan Slusser joins us on the Sports on Pause podcast. Susan, we are taping this um, (laughs) in the middle of one of the most sort of surreal and unprecedented weeks Major League Baseball has had. So let's start with sort of a macro question. How do you feel about the season at this moment as we tape this with all the positives regarding the Marlins? And now is literally the morning we're taping this. We're hearing out of Philadelphia, a couple of uh, members of the Phillies have tested positive for COVID-19. How do you feel on a macro level about the season right now? Well, I was skeptical, you know, initially when they first even started having negotiations about getting the season going. It just seems like there's so many moving parts. You can't have a bubble. It's clearly there is no bubble. But as things got closer, it seemed like, hey, maybe the frequent testing and uh, the tier different tiers of employees. I went out to the Coliseum, obviously, to cover their uh, training camp. And that seemed very safe. The A's have done a really excellent job of kind of ensuring everyone's safety. And I start to think maybe they can pull this off. But this week has really brought home, I think, to everyone that there are going to be major difficulties. And if I think there's any more incidents of, um, you know, what we're seeing here, which is a possible cross-team transmissions, oh man, it's going to be very hard. If you're having one team already suspend games for a week, I just don't know how much optimism everyone can have. Uh, It'll be fascinating to see how they try to pull this off. But uh, if you're betting money on it, I don't know why you would do so. Yeah, one of the key facts in the messaging we would hear about this is, listen, there are no positive tests since last Friday. Among any of the other 29 clubs, this is just a Marlins issue. Well, now that it's not, what are the implications for other teams and how they try to protect themselves and try to get through uh, an abbreviated season? Well, the, one of the main issues is complacency, which we see, you know, we see everywhere. It's not just baseball or sports. People test negative once and they suddenly feel kind of invincible. It's just human nature. And as guys went through training camp and they feel like, well, I'm seeing all these same guys every day. We're all getting tested. Obviously, we're all safe. We saw people wearing masks less frequently. We saw some of the behaviors that they are not supposed to be doing, spitting, um, social distancing requirements kind of going out the window. The A's had a, essentially a dog pile after a walk-off win that was a little concerning. You understand, you know, you're fighting a lifetime of habits and behaviors, but once this news came out, suddenly, you know, the A's first baseman Matt Olson started wearing a mask at first base. Um, a couple of base runners you would see bring masks out of their pockets when they got on base and they put them on. So a good reminder, but maybe a little late. But again, you're seeing this everywhere. People just kind of get into a habit a couple of weeks, they do it, and then they go, well, that seems like that should be enough. Okay, I'm fine now. Uh, and it's just not that's just not the way to behave in a pandemic. So uh, maybe a good wake-up call, but also maybe a little bit too late. Susan, one of the things that has always interested me with this is momentum. And when I say momentum, I'm referring to if players start to feel okay about either opting out of the sport ahead of time or leaving the sport while play is happening. My thought was that once you see someone else do it within your profession, you don't necessarily feel like such an outlier. 
Interestingly enough, we saw a player opt back in. Nick Markakis for the Atlanta Braves. But from talking to people around baseball and just from your own assessment, do you see any players opting out over the next couple of weeks if more bad news continues to come down the road? Well, certainly I wouldn't be surprised if there's some at-risk players or members of coaching staffs that do so, particularly older members of coaching staffs. I think that might be possible. The A's have one at-risk player, Jake Diekman. He said that he is concerned for his health. He's uh, got ulcerative colitis. He has a rebuilt colon. He's not on anything like anti-immune-suppressing you know, immune suppressing drugs or anything like that that would really make something like this very dangerous. But he is considered at risk. And he and his wife have both said they, they put a lot of thought into whether he would play or not. He really wants to play. He really wants to be safe. But he's also said it has to be safe. So so I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of the at-risk players, if there are more positive tests and, and things seem to be, especially once teams start traveling. The A's are going on the road for the first time. They opened at home. They spent a week at home. I think teams do feel safer at home. The environment they know is, is controlled. They know the people around them. But once you start getting, even on charter planes, even with airline crews that you know that you've seen before, bus drivers who've been screened and tested and hotels that are safe, I think there's a lot of apprehension there. And I hear fans say like, so what? They're young, they're athletes, they're really not at risk. There are at-risk people in these traveling parties and everyone knows it. I have to say that among the A's various different units, the one unit that I've seen that has been more careful about things like social distancing and wearing masks have been the pitchers because they know Jake and his their pitching coach, uh, Scott Emerson is a type 2 diabetic, so he's considered at risk. Uh, and the ace pitchers have been, I think, taking this more seriously than maybe some other members of the team. So it's case by case. But yeah, there is serious apprehension to maybe in some cases real fear. And, and yeah, I, I think we will probably see some more players opt out if this continues. One of the things I've always wondered about was the timing of this. We know the incubation period for the virus is you know, 14 days and the end of the regular season is September 27th. I don't know if that's going to be a drop dead date, but getting 60 games in when it looks like you may have to put some players and some teams on the shelf reoccurringly, how problematic is that going to be? Oh, huge. I mean, we all know that this is a season like no other. People say like an asterisk. I, I don't think that's necessary. Everybody's going to look at this and go 2020. Remember what happened that year. But any sort of pennant race, and I'm saying that in air quotes, it could be massively affected. You get a team going down the stretch that suddenly loses the heart of its lineup or its top two starters to positive tests. The, you know, the A's lost Jesus Lizardo for essentially all of training camp, and he might be the best young left-hander in the game. It could throw everything out of whack. Everything's out of, let's just face it, everything's out of whack. This is not normal. None of this is normal. But yeah, I, I'm very concerned about what could happen in the, in the last week or two of a season if they get that far, which is a, at this point a little bit of a stretch for me. Susan, can you give our listeners uh, a sense of the protocol that you have had to go through to cover either an A's game or uh, prior to them starting, the practices that they had? What, what has it been like for you as a Major League Baseball uh, reporter um, in Oakland regarding temperature checks or just whatever the protocol is when you enter that stadium? I am very pleased with the way the A's have handled this. Uh, first of all, the seating arrangements that they provided, immediately they said they, they looked outside. 
uh, and which is what they've done. They've, they've put all writing press along the baselines at the very back of the lower section where there are tables. We each have individual tables. We're more than six feet away from the, the nearest other media member. It's very, I think this is common in most places except for maybe New York, Toronto, a few of the really major markets. There's only a handful of writing press there every day. Uh, on the broadcast level, the broadcasters each have their own booth. There is no sharing of equipment. Everything is sanitized. In our area, everything is sanitized every day. There are um, jugs and jugs of hand sanitizer everywhere. There's gloves, there are masks. Masks are required for anyone and everyone that goes into the stadium. The only time you can take them off is to eat or drink. And people seem to be following that for the most part um, pretty strenuously. And yes, there are temperature checks and questions that you have to ask to get into the stadium. You know, have you been in contact with anyone who has tested positive? Uh, how are your physical conditions? How are you feeling? Uh, the A's offered for all tier three employees, including members of the media, which uh, who are considered tier three, even though we're not employees, they offered us testing uh, once per homestand or right before the homestand. And uh, they encouraged the beat writers who would be there every day to do so. So I did that. Uh, so they have on record that you have negative tests. There's an app that shows whether you uh, have, you know, how if you've been tested and what your results are. So they've made it pretty easy, and I do feel safe there. But kind of like the players, were I to go on the road, I am apprehensive about what would be going on at the next park and on the actual road and getting wherever. So uh, that's kind of the wild card. But I, I really applaud what the A's have done when it comes to uh, – to that and it's all boxed meals which is you know everybody's used to hanging out in the press room you know with scouts and telling stories and eating for half an hour or so before the game starts and that's now it's just sort of a, a sandwich and some chips before games but they've even done a good job with that it's been a nice variety and i don't eat meat and they've taken care of that so i can't complain and usually i like to complain so uh, so that's a change for me too the Yankees have made a change. They've decided to travel with their own clubhouse staff uh, to Philadelphia because they didn't trust the visiting clubhouse staff. Do you think measures like that may just become commonplace? You know, I don't know. You know, the real issue probably isn't necessarily the staffs. And I all those clubhouse staffs that I know in baseball are so professional and work so hard. These are the people that are there way before anyone else and leave way after everyone else. So, you know, it's sometimes a 24-hour-a-day job. They're fabulous it's maybe more like the sanitation companies that come in and making sure they're doing a good job, you know, ancillary kind of personnel that I think teams might be a little bit more, more worried about. I don't think there's really anybody that feels like the clubhouse staffs are falling down, but yes, I think teams probably feel safer with their own people around them, no matter what, which, so I do think that that's a, a nice move. But I don't think that anybody necessarily would be faulting other people's clubhouse staffs. This originally happened to the Marlins, a franchise that, you know, at times has been a running joke. And if it was the Yankees or the Dodgers or a legit contender, or now if Philadelphia is really impacted moving forward, does that change the conversation and the way we would view this issue? Maybe. You know, I, I think uh, you look at the you know, the vast majority of Major League Baseball players are young men in their 20s, mid-20s, which is a population we've seen around the country tends to be a little riskier in their behaviors during this time. So it could happen to everyone. And of course, the Marlins are in a hot spot where they're located. So maybe not necessarily a, 
a surprise there. I don't think it's much as we all like to joke about the Marlins. I don't think it has really anything to do with the fact that it's that franchise and they've, they've you know had some dysfunction there. There are plenty of major league teams that are dysfunctional. So I think that it's really more just their location and the, just the general population of baseball players in the age range. I do think contenders probably teams that are expected to contend have more reason to be extremely safe. And the A's have discussed that. They've said, like, we feel like this is a good team that has a really good chance of going all the way. It's only two months. We can't leave the hotel rooms. We have to be incredibly careful. We have to follow all the procedures, walk off (laughs) behavior aside. Uh, And I think that might be the difference. I think teams that feel like they have a shot at it this year, whether or not it's considered a legit year, they're probably going to be more careful. Susan, on this podcast, we've talked to a lot of epidemiologists and scientists and from their perspective and the kind of reading that Donovan and I have done, and this is certainly just an opinion from me and I want to get an opinion from you. It seems inconceivable that we'll see any kind of fans this year in in 2020. I know a couple of teams like the Reds have sort of thrown out there, can we get 10,000, 20,000 people in the stadium? That seems inconceivable. What really now becomes uh, a surreal situation is what does it mean in 2021? And so much of that, of course, will be answered by where the virus is and what the rates are and what the spread is. But from talking to people either in the A's administration or talking to people around baseball, Susan, have you gotten any kind of sense as to what the thinking might be regarding fans returning to baseball stadiums? It just really is going to depend so much on local restrictions. I was shocked at when first the training camps opened and the Texas teams were both talking about having fans in the seats when the season started when no other teams possibly could, which seems very unfair. It seems the NFL said either, you know, all teams or no teams, because that's potentially a massive advantage if you've got your home fans and nobody else does. But of course, then immediately Texas became a hotspot. So it's kind of uh, impossible to say, but I checked in with MLB at that point because people with the A's were pretty irate at the idea that the Astros in particular might have some sort of home field advantage. Nobody else in the division did well, except for, you know, the Rangers. And uh, MLB said like, look, we have to follow what governors are saying and what local ordinances are saying. This really isn't up to us. So, uh, you know, there's no better (laughs) example of that than Toronto. So I don't know. Uh, but it does seem foolhardy to even think that the, anybody could have fans in the seats. I know the NBA has kind of kicked some things around and various different, looking into all sorts of different safety procedures. But why you would do that in the middle of a pandemic is absolutely beyond me. So we had the Marlins deciding they were going to play a game when they probably shouldn't have. The Nationals deciding on their own that they weren't going to play a game. The commissioner hasn't really taken the reins and you think the way he would. How much of all of this falls at the feet of Rob Manfred? An enormous amount. I don't know how a team could decide kind of unilaterally to go essentially against the protocols MLB and the union put in place. It seems to me like Manfred should step in at that point and come down very hard on them for doing that. I mean, it's obviously they put another team at risk in doing so. And uh, that's exactly what what he is supposed to be doing. This isn't an easy situation. I'm not going to make any excuses for the commissioner because he needs to be out front, essentially went all day before he addressed any of this. uh, And that really should have been different. But it's really an impossible situation 
you know, so much of this is beyond anyone's control and it's unprecedented. So I have a little bit of sympathy, but when something like that clearly needs to be addressed, MLB has to be out in front of it really pronto. And uh, they haven't been. No, they haven't. Uh, you've been out in front of the story. Uh, continue to do the great reporting and, and keeping them accountable at Susan Slusser. So you can find her on Twitter, S-L-U-S-S-E-R. And for the Ace fans listening, and there are many in, in, in Canada, more than you'd think, she's the author of 100 Things A's, which you can find from Triumph Books on triumphbooks.com. Susan, thank you once again for your time. Fantastic, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Susan Slusser, obviously a, uh, a well-respected and well-plugged-in baseball reporter who not only covers the A's, but has, a, I think, a sense nationally of what's going on in baseball. And the reality is, by the time you listen to this podcast, the news is going to change. And we have no idea how the news is going to change. We certainly hope that the Marlins and the Phillies are playing regularly. But by the time you hear this podcast, it would not surprise me at all if if those teams got shut down for a week or if another team had a couple positive tests. We're now in the in the deep of it, Donovan, in terms of the sort of the great unknowns when it comes to playing not in a bubble. You know, when it comes to teams that have to travel a, across the country and uh Right now, Major League Baseball is really the the sports petri dish in all this. I honestly have no idea how it's going to play out. I hope for the best, but if you gave me 10 scenarios, I probably could make a case for all 10 scenarios. Yeah, and full disclosure, uh, we taped these two interviews a couple hours apart, and from when we taped one in the morning and another in the afternoon, news has changed. News is probably going to change between the time we end this conversation to when our super producer, Amal Delich, edits it and when it's put out to you. Things are so fluid that in the course of us taping this right now, as I was trying to deliver a transition, I got a text from you, Richard, showing me that Phillies and Blue Jays is canceled this weekend, as per Ben Nicholson-Smith. And so from minute to minute, literally, the status in Major League Baseball continues to change. And if that's if this is happening in baseball, what's going to happen in football? One man who could fill us in on that, Dr. Zachary Binney. And he's up next on the Sports on Pause podcast. Zachary Binney is not just a great follow with a PhD. He's an epidemiologist. He's the incoming assistant prof of quantitative theory and methods at Oxford College of Emory University. And he also writes for football insiders about everything to do with sports and injuries and athlete health and football. Uh, but we want to actually talk to you about baseball and maybe what we've seen go on in the MLB and how that will impact what eventually will happen in the NFL. Let's start with baseball. After we saw a positive test on Friday, three more on Sunday, how and why do you think we saw a game being played afterwards? It seems like Major League Baseball had a plan to make sure there wasn't an outbreak, but didn't have a plan when there was an outbreak. 
yeah, I really still don't feel like we have a good answer on what happened on Sunday or why the Marlins and Phillies were allowed to play when you had identified four positive cases in the last couple of days on the Marlins. I've written for over a month now about how three to four cases uh, should start setting off alarm bells uh, on the same team. That sounds like a cluster and uh, tells you that, uh, you know, once you've identified those three or four cases, it's unlikely for that number to stay at three or four. It's likely you have an outbreak within a team and, and you should shut it down. And we saw that that was exactly what happened when they got uh, a bunch more positives back on Monday. So they should have shut the Marlins down on Sunday. You know, we're going to have to wait for the results of a more thorough epidemiologic investigation to figure out what the heck happened. But one thing that I'm seeing from uh, reporting uh, at ESPN by Jeff Passan is that uh, Major League Baseball did or relied on their uh, contact tracing uh, protocol, which is part of the broader health and safety protocol. So that means when you find a case, you do something that they're calling contact tracing to identify people that they uh, have been within six feet of for 10 minutes or longer. And those close contacts should be quarantined, but everyone else can continue. I don't know what sort of contact tracing they were doing that found that four people in a traveling party with all the time they're spending in the hotel, on buses, in the clubhouse, in the dugout. But they claim that when they did the contact tracing on those four people, they only found one other person in the whole travel party that they thought merited quarantining uh, because they were a close contact. I find that extremely hard to believe uh, if contact tracing was done properly. And regardless, once you have four cases, you really shouldn't be relying on contact tracing to decide whether to shut the team down or not. You should shut them down out of caution until you're sure that the situation won't get worse, not unless you can prove that it will. If you're a major league executive, or if you're let's let's sort of be specific here, if you're the president or uh, a very high ranking member of a team that like is ultimately going to interact with the Marlins in you know in a very immediate future, what do you do? Because you're you know on the one hand, obviously the health and safety of your players and personnel is paramount, but you're also it seems to me going up a little bit against league forces who do not want to cancel the season. And are gonna seems like try to be I would use the term aggressive to to head forward. So do you tell your players to be as vigilant as possible? I mean, what can be done when there's such a significant outbreak when it comes to one singular team? First of all, I think it would be premature to cancel the entire season at this point. If you saw what happened on the Marlins happen on another team or certainly on two more teams, you'd have to start thinking really seriously about that. In terms of what I would do if I were about to play the Marlins, I would be advising those teams. I mean, the Nationals already uh, took a vote when Major League Baseball was trying to get the Marlins back quicker, like for this weekend. The Nationals basically took a vote and said, no, we're not going to do that. And I think that was that was very wise. I would wait until you're confident that the virus has worked its way out of the clubhouse. And that takes time. And it depends a little bit on the procedures that they're employing right now. So I would say, if you are another team and you are confident that the Marlins are quarantining everyone in that travel party individually with no contact between them, and you see them go five days maybe without another case, I would feel relatively confident um, playing them again, that the infections are gone. 
But, you know, if MLB tries to force them back uh, sooner than that, then uh, then I think you have to think very seriously about the health and safety of your own players and staff and your visiting clubhouse attendants, uh, by the way, if they're coming to play you in your town and the health of your hotel staff and and your communities and your own families. You know, the other thing to keep in mind is that um, we're still waiting to see. MLB has run perhaps an inadvertent experiment, but an experiment nonetheless, on how easy it is for the virus to transmit from one team to another when they're playing. So did it transmit from the Marlins to the Phillies? So far, the only uh, Phillies personnel that we've seen test positive was a clubhouse attendant who was working with the Marlins in their clubhouse. So it's no surprise that they got sick. Uh, We haven't seen any on-field personnel, Phillies players or coaches get sick, but we need to wait uh, a few more days to be sure that that hasn't happened. So, uh, you know, if you get through the rest of this week and no Phillies players turn up sick, that would also give me a little more confidence in being an opponent of the Marlins, that the virus does not spread very easily when you are playing. This was going to be my last question for you, but since we're walking down this road, let's just continue. What if we have transfer from team to team? What does that mean for the notion we can play sports in this fashion as other leagues are are watching uh, what happens in the MLB? Well, again, fortunately, we have not seen that yet. But just hypothetically, if we were to, baseball has an awful lot of things going for it in terms of being a relatively safe sport, mainly that most people are typically far from one another, especially on opposing teams, except for when you have a runner and a baseman and a catcher and a hitter. And it's mostly played outdoors, where we know that transmission is harder than indoors. So if we saw like widespread transmission from the Marlins to the Phillies, which again, we haven't seen, and honestly, I would be a little surprised to see, but if we did see that, that would raise very serious concerns for every other sport uh, at any level that's trying to come back outside of a bubble atmosphere. Doctor, you know, one of the things that's been interesting to me, and this is very much uh, gets into human behavior and psychology, and I don't know what you can do. I don't know how you change this, but, you know, if you watch baseball, for instance, and one of the players does something like hit a home run or one of the players does something that's sort of celebratory, you're still seeing guys sort of hug each other. Uh, you're seeing guys, uh, you know, get in each other's faces and, uh, you know, rub their head or something like that. I'm not even sure what my question is for you, but like, I almost wonder if it's sort of just one of the risks that you're going to have to live with because these guys are so used to, with muscle memory, doing things a certain way, you know, outside of the managerial staffs on each team to sort of continue to remind them to not high five or to sort of elbow five and stuff like that. But it's just been, it's been very interesting to me because I, in a sense, I have a lot of sympathy for the players because you, they have done things a certain way for their entire careers, and now they're being asked in this very short time frame to change what's been learned behavior. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Now, I also share those same sympathies. I really do. And I think there are a couple of suggestions here. Number one would be, I mean, we've seen some players even wear masks when they hit a home run. So if you're wearing a mask and you run up afterwards and give somebody a quick high five, to be honest with you, I don't think there's a very high risk of transmitting the virus in that way. So what we really need to be worried about are longer uh, interactions. So I wouldn't want to see something like a dog pile, right? That would be really bad. But I think we've mostly avoided that so far, at least mostly. Uh, You don't want bench clearing brawls, right? Although we came close uh, between the, the Dodgers and the Astros the other night. Like, I would be a lot more worried about 
guys sitting near each other in the dugout, especially not wearing masks, which we have seen quite a bit of, uh, and is not something that you can hang on muscle memory, or what players are doing away from the cameras in the clubhouses. Are they getting closer to each other than they should, spending more time in the locker rooms than they're supposed to, not wearing masks when they're inside? If they're not wearing them in the dugout, are they wearing them in the clubhouse? These are the areas where I would have to guess that transmission is more likely than these brief high fives or head slaps or anything like that. So I think that the major areas where you can cut down on transmission should be behaviors that are alterable, not uh, the muscle memory kind of celebrations that we see. The NWSL, the MLS, the WNBA, and the NBA all have had zero positive tests after the initial quarantine period in their respective bubbles. Uh, Michelle Roberts, the NBA PA leader, said a bubble may be the only option for next season as well. In your estimation, is it possible to play sports without a bubble pre-vaccine or, or pre-herd immunity based on, on what we're seeing? Absolutely it is, but with a big caveat. And I'll tell you that by way of just telling you what I see with an overall scan of the sports landscape right now. I see bubble plans working brilliantly, better than anybody could have predicted, honestly, in the U.S. Okay, we've seen the National Women's Soccer League, Major League Soccer with some bumps at the start, uh, the NBA and WNBA, and NHL so far in Canada, which has the added advantage of being in Canada, not in the U.S., uh, have worked great. We've seen non-bubble plans work fine in South Korea, in Germany, even in Spain and Italy, which were hit very hard right at the start, but were able to finish their top soccer seasons in La Liga and Serie A uh, because they've gotten the outbreak under control and they were able to do that outside of a bubble. So bubble plans work in the U.S., non-bubble plans work outside of the U.S. where the virus is better controlled. And when you try a non-bubble plan in the U.S., you see something like what happened on the Marlins or what happened on Major League Soccer's uh, Dallas and Nashville, where the outbreaks that they brought into the bubble that fortunately didn't spread beyond those teams. Remember when it looks like those outbreaks happened? That looked like they happened when players were living with their families in their communities, in their home markets, in Dallas and Nashville. That's where the outbreaks happened, not in the bubble. So bubbles work. Non-bubbles work if you actually have the virus under control, but unfortunately, we do not here in the United States. You know, MLB was actually the first league to suggest a bubble. The framing at the time was a biosphere, and the thought at the time was it kind of felt absurd. But now, uh, the level of crisis in some ways is actually worse uh, than it was back then. And we're seeing, obviously, bubbles, as you mentioned, working in other leagues in North America. Given the benefit of hindsight, would it have made more sense for baseball to have a biosphere bubble, whatever you want to call it, in Florida and or Arizona at training facilities where there was high cases or to have teams return back to their home markets but have the travel all over the United States? Well, it's easy for me to sit here and say, you should have had a bubble, right? But there were a lot of good reasons for trying to avoid doing a bubble. And I completely, for completely understandable reasons, it's psychologically and emotionally taxing for players, especially if they have to be away from their families and staff members, by the way, who are not getting paid even nearly as much as the players to be away from their families for weeks or months at a time. That stinks. It's expensive. It's logistically difficult. 
If you can play outside of a bubble, obviously that's what you'd prefer. And I'm sure the hope from MLB was probably that um, that the U.S. would not look nearly this bad, that we'd look a lot more like Germany by this point. And in a sane world, that would have been a reasonable assumption. But unfortunately, that is not what happened. And um, and people need to understand that when you're making any plans right now, that the watchword is flexibility. You may think you have a solid plan based on your prediction of what's going to happen with the virus, but we don't really know. And you need to be flexible and recognize when your plan may not work. I think that uh, college football here is facing a, a very similar problem. One last one for me, and that is as you uh, as we head to the landscape, the biggest uh, sports league in North America is the National Football League. There's so much... Uh, there's so much money on the line. And as we tape this with you, doctor, we're starting to see some players opt out. And I don't think in, in the end that's going to be a, uh, a majority of the players, but it's certainly been an interesting story that we've already seen 15 or 20 players make the decision that they're not going to play this year. From an epidemiology perspective, game is played outdoors, but the game is played in very close contact and quarters with players tackling each other, breathing on each other, scratching each other. Etc. There's travel issues in the same way there's uh, issues with Major League Baseball. Um, and it's also played in the fall and winter where you talk to epidemiologists and scientists, they sort of believe that with flu season, it, it proposes challenges. As On a macro perspective, what significant concerns would you have regarding the National Football League this year? First of all, on players opting out, I'm not going to fault a guy for saying he wants to play and he thinks the risk is worth it. I'm not going to fault a guy for saying uh, he doesn't want to play. He doesn't think the risk is worth it. I think it's it's a very personal decision uh, when deciding whether to participate in the NFL season or not. And I'm not going to knock a guy either way. So that out of the way. The NFL is essentially trying to run MLB's playbook. The issue that I think they may run into is you saw how fast this virus spread through a baseball clubhouse. Honestly, this was off the charts bad in terms of what I had expected uh, in terms of its ability to spread through an MLB team. You would have to suspect that if the virus gets into an NFL team and sparks an outbreak, it's going to look way worse because there are more people and more contact. And so that provides a more fertile uh, ground for the virus to move around and whip through a team. And so you have to be very afraid about that. And what it's really going to rely on is keeping the virus out of the clubhouse in the first place. And that is going to require nearly perfect avoidance of risky behavior by lots and lots of people, you know, 150 or 200 people per team, thousands league wide for four or five months. I think it's a tall order. I think the NFL is, uh, is hoping that they can make it happen, that the discipline will be there. But I worry, especially in markets that have a lot of virus where, um, you know, it only takes one or two guys freelancing and doing what they're not supposed to do to uh, to maybe bring the virus in, especially if you're only testing every couple of days. If a guy is walking around an NFL clubhouse for two days, able to transmit the virus and doesn't know it because he's asymptomatic, depending on if that time stretches over a game or if it uh, stretches over a contact practice or a team meeting where guys let their guard down and aren't wearing masks, that could be quite disastrous. And so I think uh, in markets with a lot of virus, you have to you have to recognize that that's a very real possibility. The other thing is the ability of it to spread 
uh, to opponents, I think is going to be much higher than it is in baseball. So even if we don't see the virus spread to the Phillies, which again, I think is a reasonable thing that we could see, uh, that's certainly no guarantee that it wouldn't be able to jump from one club to another in the NFL. Yeah, the worry is not even NFL players being diligent. You need their families, the people who are in their homes to yes. be diligent as well. I'm getting invites to so many NFL fantasy leagues, and I'm just wondering, one, how many players are going to be left to choose by the time we get to that point? And is there going to be a league left over? If there is, we will be looking for your work with football insiders. And we can go to NFLinjuryanalytics.com for your work there. The follow is at ZBinny underscore NFL INJ. I'm hoping that I'm reading you this fall and not talking to you this fall. That would mean that we're in a really good place. Thank you so much for giving us your perspective once again. Absolutely. My pleasure, guys. Take care and stay safe and good luck with the uh, opening in Toronto here. Well, our thanks uh, to Susan Flusser, of course, and uh, Dr. Zachary Benny for their insights. Donovan, um, obviously, I have a vested interest in this given that I grew up in the States and uh, grew up watching the NFL since as long as I can remember. And that to me is, man... That's the one where I think the best laid plans can totally blow up. I don't think we have any idea how that's going to go. We're already seeing Major League Baseball implode this week, and you're dealing with a sport, as you know, having played it in college, that is by its very nature, um, you know, people breathing on each other. It's a virus spreading sport. And so I'm sure as this podcast heads forward, we will do some NFL specific stuff, but, um, you know, Dr. Benny's words um, really sort of hit home with me. Uh, I would say just in terms of our traditional last word segment where we offer the listeners um, something that we've read or something that we've heard, something that sort of combines either the nexus of uh, COVID-19 and sports or just a really good COVID-19 primer. I don't really have anything other than follow your local reporters this week, particularly if you are a baseball fan because the news is going to change, I would say, hourly. And so if you want to be sort of educated, just continue to follow people, trusted voices in your market, because I think by the time you even hear these words, the story in Major League Baseball will have changed again. What do you have, Donovan? Yeah, that's a great call. Um, in, in the coming weeks, I would say the same for football, as I think as training camp starts, uh, the same thing will be true. I think you've got to be ready for our sports to look and feel a lot different. And coaches, instead of having play sheets covering their mouths when they're calling plays, I think they're going to be wearing masks calling plays. This is where we are as a society and as a supporting society. Speaking of masks, um, a couple of good pieces of, of content about masks. On Sportsnet, Stevie Leung uh, wrote the inside story of the Raptors' Black Lives Matter face masks. I don't know if you've seen them on Instagram. They're done by a local artist named Nadia Lloyd. She actually lives here in Toronto in the Liberty Village area. And the team and Nick Nurse um, is really supporting her work. So check that out and, and go online and get one if you want to support both the Black Lives Matter movement, but also keep yourself safe. Speaking of masks as well. A history of medical masks. They weren't always fashion statements. Um, they were originally and still are for safety primarily. Uh, and so 
welcomecollection.org has an article about the history of medical masks. And again, as it's summer, as you are enjoying your friends and family, we know a lot of you, part of your, your family is your furry friends, your pets. And Natasha Daly did a bit of reporting for National Geographic on the first dog to not only test positive in the U.S., a German shepherd by the name of Buddy, about his life and how he passed due to the virus. So this weekend, pour a sip out for Buddy, who we lost due to COVID-19. Continue this weekend as you are watching and consuming sports as all of them are coming back. 71 live events on this weekend. Make sure you're doing it safe and responsibly. Take care of yourself and others. 